Do, 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 do. Hey, Mark, what you working on there? Oh, I'm just trying to finish this application to be a leading operative inspector. You mean Spectre the Crime Syndicate? The one that deals in drugs and firearms and ransom entire countries with nukes? Yeah, that one. Mark, I don't know how to say this, but I'm not sure you're exactly qualified for that position. Eh, you might be right. I've had to pad my resume quite a bit. What'd you write? That I have over 15 years of experience embezzling money. Mark, that's really not something you should lie about. Well, I also wrote that I've murdered men just to send a message. Mark, if you join Spectre, they're going to kill you in your first week. Fine, fine. I'll put a pin in this and we can just do the Thunderball podcast. That sounds like a good idea. All right, everyone. Grab your wristwatch Geiger counter. And your jetpack. And join us as we discuss James Bond here in the books. And there in the movies. Episode 9, Spectacular. Upon M's insistence, James Bond takes a two-week respite in a secluded natural health spa. But amid the bland teas, tasteless yogurts, and the spine stretcher the guests lovingly call the rack, Bond stumbles onto the trail of a lethal man with ties to a new secret organization called Spectre. When Spectre hijacks two A-bombs, a frantic global search for the weapons ensues, and M's hunch that the plane containing the bombs will make a clean drop into the ocean sends Bond to the Bahamas to investigate. On the island paradise, 007 finds a wealthy pleasure seeker's treasure hunt and meets Domino Vitale, the gorgeous mistress of Emilio Largo, otherwise known as Spectre's number one. But as powerful as number one is, he works for someone else, Ernst Favreau Blofeld, a peculiar man with a deadly creative mind. The ninth novel in Ian Fleming's James Bond series, Thunderball marks the beginnings of one of the most iconic villains in history and the only match for the wits of James Bond. Indeed. So Blofeld has shown up in some of the movies because the movies, of course, uh, go in a different order from the book. Um, but really here he's he's dealing more with Largo. Um, and this book is funny to me because the first few chapters, it's like it's like the most kind of cartoonish story because it's got him and he's like, interested in all this new age medicine and wants to send bond to this health spot he's like no you need these vitamins and this this fresh air will heal you from all of your stress but then after bond goes and, and gets tied up in, into the storyline it turns into one of the most like mature and serious novels of the series so far and mm -hmm. and uh my favorite part was his description of specter and the embezzling money and how the organization works. And that was fascinating to me because of course Fleming worked for the secret service. And so I'm sure he was drawing on, on special knowledge of that. And uh, so I really liked this book as, as like, you know, a more realistic take on bond, but it was just funny to me that it started off with, with such a kind of bonkers intro with him and the M. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. This is actually, I mean, I don't like it as much as, Moonraker or Dr. No, probably, but this is up there for me, too. Um, you know, not only one of the most mature books as, as books go uh, from Fleming, but just as one of my straight up favorites that he's written. Um, I think he gives us a really good villain. He gives us a really interesting Bond girl. I really like Domino. Mm -hmm. um, she's just, she kind of stands on her own. And they, I don't know, they spend a lot of time in these books and these movies giving the girls, you know, these brainy professions because they feel like they have to do that to diminish some of the, 
some yeah. of the sexism that is right. at play, but I I don't think that necessarily makes the characters stronger. Not to say that that it can't, but I, you can't only give them a a brainy profession and then not devote time to writing them as a really good character. And I think Domino is an example of not being you know, a nuclear physicist or something, but <laughs> and she... And a pilot, and... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. She's just... I think she's kind of an intriguing, strong woman, and she, for sort of some of the reasons you were mentioning um, in our last episode, For Your Eyes Only, with Judy Havelock, I thought Domino... You know, she she could hold her own ground, and she was sort mm-hmm. of... She went toe-to-toe with Bond, and you know, she, I, I don't know. I just, I, I really enjoyed her as a Bond girl. Yeah. More so, more so than a lot of others that, that we've been given so far. And the, uh, I like that Fleming brought in the relationship with her brother and that's how she was connected to the storyline because that was a pretty powerful, and the movie handled it a little differently, but in the book, it was her brother who, who turned out to be evil, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Right. In the movie, it was another guy who went through facial prosthetics and, and all this stuff to look like him, and then they killed him and replaced But in the book, it really was her brother, and so there's all this wrestling with James Bond having to tell her that her brother you know, did these horrible things and helped hijack a nuclear weapon, and so she has to decide between family and and this this debonair spy that she's now fallen in love with and, and <laughs> all of that. Uh, I'm interested, too, okay, because this, this book, you mentioned it was one of your favorites, and it's also... Um, kind of sets up some of the more iconic plot points with James Bond, which is hijack a nuke and, and hold the world ransom <laughs> as, you know, right. Awesome Power. We mentioned in Awesome Powers, they've done that. And so Moonraker, now was the Moonraker, a, it was a nuclear missile, okay? Diamonds Are Forever, was there was no nuke. Uh, from Russia With Love, because we said we'd start keeping track of, of how many n- nuclear bombs are in play here. Uh, oh, yeah, that's for, right. From Russia With Love was the cipher, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, not the nuke. Dr. No, uh, no nuke, if I'm correct. It was a missile out of Cape Canaveral, okay. I think, but it was not really a nuke, though. All right, but Goldfinger, okay, in the movie there was a nuke, right? Because they were going to nuke the money, the nuke the gold and make it uh, not able to be used. Right. Uh, for your eyes only, no nuke, and then Thunderball. So we've got, so far, three nuclear missiles, I think, officially. Um, okay. So Solid third. Yeah, solid third. <laughs> Uh, so we'll, we'll keep you updated with that. Um, but that's really all I have to say about the book. I mean, it's, it, I think, I think he really hit the mark with this one and he's really, Fleming has really hit his stride with this series and has kind of figured out, I think he figured out a great plot line, even though it's the ninth book to keep us intrigued. Yeah, I, I definitely would agree. And this is the first, uh, I get my chronology out of order with the movies because they're all over the place. But I think this is the first book that has Blofeld, right? As his Correct. enemy. Correct. Which was pretty cool because he's such, you know, one of the icons of Bond villainry. So, um, yeah, that was, that was interesting to me. Um, yeah, he's definitely setting us up for, for later, for later books though, as I'm looking at, cause I have read the spy who loved me. Uh, and I don't remember him in that, uh, and I'm not seeing, I'm kind of looking at some of the synopses for the future books and I'm not seeing them a lot. So it'll be interesting to see how he comes back and when he comes back. So I think, I think he comes back in on Her Majesty's Secret Service, okay. if I'm not mistaken. 
So that's two or three books from now. So yeah, yeah we'll see. But we um, know that he ends up in a smokestack <laughs> carried through a helicopter. Right. <laughs> I'll sell oh you a God. delicatessen. <laughs> Stainless steel. Oh. Anyway. Wow. Oh my gosh. I forgot about that. And if you don't that know what we're amazing. referencing, go back and watch all eight episodes and see which one it was from. Right. All right. So uh, you ready to take a break from our sponsor, Fleming Brand? Sure. Let's all do right. it. We'll be right back. This episode of James Bond Here and There is brought to you by Fleming Company Evil Corporation Support Systems. Are you the head of a growing sinister empire? Don't let yourself get distracted with logistics when you have more important things to deal with. Let us worry about things like personnel and network solutions while you worry about threatening to murder thousands of people in cold blood for the sake of your personal gain. At Fleming Company, we specialize in every area of evil organization infrastructure, including email support, Human resources, filing, office management, telecommunications, copying and printing, quietly disposing of mutilated corpses, and much more. That's right. The Fleming Co. Evil Organization Support Systems is the cure for what ails ya. Fleming Brand Products for you. Fleming Co. Fleming Brand Products. And now, back to the program. Well, it was it's interesting because I've I've I was talking with a friend who knows a lot of history, and apparently Fleming, um, during World War II, he set up his own radio station, but it was like a mock radio station where he you know he pretended to be a German sympathizer to to try to uh, kind of kill their morale with sto- with fake stories about how they're being defeated and stuff like this. So he suggested that a lot of the sexism and stuff like that was not necessarily authentic. And that it was like that it was somewhat satire, but I don't know that I buy that in most of this stuff. It's it seems pretty, mm-hmm. I don't know, legit to me. Uh, but I was just gonna throw that out there as kind of at least a little interesting tidbit. But uh, to me, it seems like he, he, I mean, you know, he's showing the true colors of the time. And and with Nurse, yeah. what was a honey, honey blonde. You know, going back and watching this again, it's one of those moments where he basically blackmails her into having sex with him, or else he's right. going to tell her that she had made this mistake where he almost died in this machine. I'm like, that's horrible. That's not so. Uh, I know. Ap- yeah. Go ahead. Apart from that, what did you uh, think? Well, so I, I made some notes about this. I actually, uh, I'll just go ahead and we can just start with that. Okay. Um, this Thunderball, I really wasn't a fan of. Um, and that stinks because I really enjoy the Connery movies and he's, you know, I think I've said this a couple times before, like going, before we started this, um, this podcast, Connery was Bond for me. And as we've been reading the books, I think that Daniel Craig embodies his, you know, Fleming spirit a little bit more mm-hmm. the way he was written in the book, but I love Connery and I've, you know, poo-pooed the likes of Roger Moore and how he's so... You know, he just he just seems like he is more of the guy who's the womanizer, the callous, like raised eyebrow, whatever. And in this in Thunderball, I, Connery had so much more of the the Roger Moreisms to me, like the cheesy little one liners, the sleeping with everything that moves, the the being chauvinistic. Um, and it just about the about the misogyny thing, like in the books. The misogyny can be uncomfortable at times. You know, that's not, to me, that's not a reason to not read them because you can't just not read anything that makes you uncomfortable. But it's, the misogyny and the sexism seems like 
just you're getting a little window into the times. It's not, uh, it doesn't feel purposeful. It doesn't feel like it's glorifying it. It just feels like that's mm-hmm. just the yeah. way it was. Normalizes but when we it. Watched, yeah. yeah. But in these movies, they t- because he's not even like, yes, he is a ladies man in the book, but he, he never forces oh, hold on, himself Kelly. on your on a- Your mic's doing the. Ah, dang. Okay. Womp womp. In the meantime, I'll just say something silly about about this movie because I, I realized, and I've noticed this before, but Sean Connery has the longest eyebrows. They go like all the way from up under his like the the, the nose part of his eye all the way down around. It's like this huge arc of eyebrow. So anyway, next time you see him, and or if you go back and watch this video after it's done, the trailer, just check out his eyebrows because it's one of those things where probably once I pointed out. You'll never be able to stop noticing it. Um, I agree with a lot of what you were saying, uh, but but as I as I was watching it, when he walks out of the irrigation room and he says, "See you later, irrigator." He like he like looks up uh, after he leaves, and he he just briefly sees that it says irrigation, and he says, "See you later," and he looks up and he says, "Irrigator." And I'm like, Sean Connery can pull that off. Like, that's, I don't know, that's what I liked. That's what I took away good from this movie was that if Roger Moore had done that, it would be like, okay, yeah, Irrigator. But, like, he says it's so, like, deadpan and he's so handsome when he says it. It's just, like, it's so serious that it just works. Okay, but your mic, it seems like your mic's better, so go ahead and finish okay, that thought. Well- I do. I, I will. I do agree with that. That part. That was a funny little improv moment. Um, but I, I don't. I don't know exactly where I left off even. But I. I just. You know, in the books, Bond never forces himself on a woman. He would never like mm-hmm. use sex as blackmail. Yeah, like true. he just. He enjoys the company of women, and they enjoy the company of Bond, and it just all works out for him. But in the movies, there's so many moments like that, and even in this movie, there were more than one, where. Where he was like, oh, you know, I could have a price, <laughs> you know, and she was just like, okay, steamy, steamy, you know. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. It it just bugs me that in the movies, I I know the movies and the books were somewhat going on at the same time, but to me, it just it bugs me that the movies take that aspect that's barely there in mm-hmm. the books and they dial it up to eleven. And it's just, it makes it seem like they're glorifying that, like, uber-masculine side of him that I, I don't know, it just, that just doesn't hold up well as a modern viewer, and it's, it's annoying. Yeah, that's it. I like that you pointed that out, because I haven't, I haven't really seen the books and movies as that different through that lens. I've I've always felt like the sexism of the 60s is in, is in the books, but you're right that it's there, but it, but the movies do glorify it, and... And you're right, you know, James Bond does, it doesn't ever force himself on a woman in the books. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's, I think it's an important distinction because I mean, I'm not saying he's not a little sexist in the books because he is, as we've explored in our previous eight episodes. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just not as in your face, I guess. I don't know. But did you feel like in Thunderball as well, in this movie, Bond slash Connery was especially kind of condescending and contemptuous of everything even q yeah. he like had all these sassy words for everybody and he was just yeah he, de- he definitely dialed it up a notch in this movie as far as the the sardonic you know facade i, mm-hmm. I would say for sure <laughs> i i wrote down a note that it's the best movie for one-liners 
when they were looking when they were looking at the guns he, he's looking with strava with this gun and he said uh he said something about women and guns he says i he says do you know a lot about guns he says no but i know a little about women it's just a great line <laughs> yeah. um so the, there were a lot of this movie had a lot of kind of cool uh, directorial choices with the camera works underwater but it also had like really awkward editing so it was kind of a mixed bag for me in terms of of cinematic devices and, and the movie making of it uh some weird like sp even in the trailer charles was laughing our producer here was laughing about you know the he like shoves the chair and the chair like speeds up halfway through and then slows down again because you could tell they had, <laughs> they had messed with the footage but then some of the underseen waters were really cool and they did like a bird's eye view of the of the them carrying the nuke under the thing and so uh, how did you feel about the whole underwater aspect of it? Because that's the one thing I remember from this movie, even from my like preteens watching them, was that Thunderball is the underwater movie with all these, with all these, uh, the, uh, the harpoon guns and stuff. Well, I, so I do actually. I agree with you. There were some really cool um, cinematography moments, particularly underwater, and I thought the underwater stuff was really cool because they everything was really clear and crisp and mm -hmm. they did a lot of interesting things with the bubbles and everything. And, and I think I forget exactly which category it was, but didn't this movie win an Oscar or it was nominated for an Oscar for visual effects or, oh, or cinematography? That up. Um, I, th I think they did. And you know, I have, I, who, I can't recall what other movies came out that year, but it was pretty deserving. I think. Yeah. Um, I really liked the, the, the two kind of visual, elements that stuck out to me were the, all the underwater sequences and the that <laughs> that um towards the beginning i think the shots in the specter headquarters oh yes where, yes with the that where was, he kills the guy yeah i thought that was kind of a cool set design and just um interesting setup so yeah it was oscar yeah. winner for best effects and oh, special nice. visual effects nice nice the only thing I will say about the underwater, like I thought they were really cool, but at times I did think it, some of those underwater sequences drug on a little too long yeah. for me. Yeah, I agree. Th this movie didn't engage me as much with that stuff as it did when I was a kid. Uh, and, you know, Bond comes in at the end and, you know, there are all these professionals who are, I'm sure, like trained Marines or whoever they sent in. And Bond like zooms in with a special gadget jetpack underwater and like is <laughs> is like saving the day for all these guys and never gets hurt, you know. So I thought of that course. was a little cheesy and and uh, unrealistic. But uh, yeah. <laughs> the what what did you think about the ending? Because it was really abrupt. So they win and and Bond ends up in a in a raft with Domino and then they're just silently sitting there while Bond is like getting this harness together and 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 launches this balloon and then. This huge plane. It's the same. It's the same gag with uh in the Batman movie. Uh, Batman Begins, I think, or maybe no, it was the Dark Knight where he he gets uh he goes to Tokyo, I think it is, and and uh, gets dragged or Beijing and and sends the balloon up and the the plane has this big hook and then takes him away. But in the movie, it was like he didn't say anything. Domino's just kind of looking over at him, like what's going on. <laughs> and then the plane picks him up and they zoom off and then the credits roll. It's like what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's no snappy one-liner there. It's just they get zoomed, zipped away, and that's it. And and if ever they were going to do a snappy double entendre, like that surely would be the time. Like, oh, it's time to take off. Or, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know, but that's right. 
Yeah, that was hilarious because he was just like, boop, and they started to soar upwards, and then, oh, they're on a plane, like, being dragged by it. Yep. All right. So, anything else to say about this one? Well, okay, I liked the casting of Domino. Uh Uh-huh. I don't don't recall that actress's name, but I think she was a French actress. Um, I thought that was good. But aside from her, like, I... I don't know. I don't know why, but I felt like you didn't really connect to a lot of the supporting characters or really, or maybe that's just me. Like, I just didn't feel like extremely invested in really no. any of the things that were going on. And the redheaded, the redheaded woman's role seemed superfluous to me. Like, yeah. it, it seemed like she was just added in there as another woman for Bond to sleep with and, and right. be a dangerous, you know, femme fatale. But she didn't serve much as far as the plot. She just seemed like an extra villain. Right. And, and I think kind of in that same vein, like this movie falls prey to what a lot of Bond movies fall prey to in that it takes a semi, you know, tight, decently compact story and they stretch it out into two plus Mm -hmm. hours and it doesn't really need to be at this point, this one particularly just didn't like, they could have trimmed that out. They could have trimmed out so many things. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. when you, you go back and look at a movie like Little Nicky, it was only an hour and a half. It's like a perfect time frame, and they, they get everything they <laughs> need to get done. <laughs> I know, Little Nicky, right. that little gem uh, of a movie. <laughs> anyway, um, the actress who played Domino, her name is Claudine Auger. She actually was a former Miss France. Oh, nice. So, yeah, she, she was beautiful. Yeah. She really was. And, you know, Thunderball was remade into uh, Never Say Never Again. Oh, I didn't realize that. And that was the one that's not official. Right. It's the, but it's the only one that that writer sued for it, and so he could remake that movie because that oh, okay, was the whole I see. Legal because thing he was it. a he was an author of the original book. Okay, yeah. so we probably won't watch Never Say Never again because of that. Since there's a movie associated with it, I guess we could have watched it for this episode, but yeah. it's not official Hindsight. though. So maybe we'll do a special episode with some spinoffs because there are a few movies that that don't have books associated with them directly. Um, oh yeah, so that'd be cool. A little special episode maybe keep the yeah. listeners interested. That's right. So, all right. Who do you think did it better, the book or the movie? Our our, oh, re- our listeners can probably guess. Yeah, both of us would say <laughs> the book. book for sure. Yeah. So go grab a copy if you haven't. It's one of the the one of the best books out there. Yep. Well, that is it for now. Then we will return in the Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, yes. But apart from that, check us out on uh, it's just awesome.com and on here there on Twitter. Hear their series on Twitter. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time. All right. Thanks. All right. I think it's done. I think we're not live anymore. I don't know for sure, but I can unplug that. Congratulations for listening to this entire episode. Fleming Brand is bringing you a special outtake from the beginning of the episode. And here it is. It's funny to me how little these Bond movies uh, hold up to like our modern conception of what a fight scene should look like. Like all he does is just straight punch people in the jaw. (laughs) And today we're like, we want choreography and martial arts. They're dancing and she gets shot in the back and he like covers the bullet hole immediately with his hair like, what? Are you Superman? What was that? He he just sits it down and what does he say? Like, she's just dead or something like. Yeah, yeah. "Yeah, dead on her feet. You're like, come on. God, that's cruel.
<laughs> this poor young woman. She was villainous, so I guess. <laughs> but anyway. Uh...